I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Chris Catliff, Chief Executive Officer and President of Blue Shore Financial. And you've been polishing up your crystal ball and looking into the future. What's your outlook for 2022? I see positive things for the financial institutions, mostly because I think uh, interest rates will drift up as they already are starting to do in the bond market. There's still lots of liquidity out there. I think that'll start to be taken away. But generally, I see positive things. Uh, Credit situation uh, pretty strong after coming out of the pandemic. Of course, everything is subject to climate change and pandemic issues. But generally, we're we're in a good spot to increase our earnings and grow over the next uh, couple of years. Well, what is going to be the key theme? There are obviously certain issues, but there's been a lot of lip service paid to improving the customer experience and personalizing the product. Is that actually going to happen or is it just flannel? It's not flannel. Much like the music and travel industries got completely digitally disrupted, uh, I would say banking and health are right in the midst of it, but it takes years. And uh, I find it ironic that for many years, I've been all about protecting and guarding the digital data of my clients. And now I have to set up those same systems to open it up in an open banking world and allow that data to come out. So something that was purpose built for something else now has to do a different task. And so I think that there will be uh, winners and losers in that. And so that's a big challenge. So notwithstanding the general financial trends are quite positive, the economic trends are are likely to be quite positive. The digital transformation that we're in the middle of is highly disruptive. Not only is it disruptive, but it can be a horrible can of worms, I would think. You already talked there about having to change your mindset, your systems to open up to offer digital information to other people, security, 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 security. The one thing I care about most of all with a financial institution is that my money is going to still be in it when I want to get at it. Right. And so that's what we call the element of trust. So you have to trust in it. But the odd thing about trust is if you're over 35, it means something and, and, and it's seen in a different way with a financial institution or whether you're under 35. There was an old adage when ATMs or banking machines first came out, grandmother and the little kid at the teller and the little kid saying to the grandmother, how do I know that that lady's going to put my money in the machine? And that's the difference that we now have between the young wanting to do everything digital, self-serve and trusting in that and believing in that and the older people believing in the systems and, and processes of how they did their banking and financial planning staying the same. I understand what you're saying. Yes, I see it as I can see it as a matter of trust. But the security has got to be right. Because even if you're under 35, if your money disappears from your bank account, you're not going to be happy. Yes. And I would say that cybersecurity is going to come back even more as we open up in open banking. But what I will say now is that if you are a financial institution that's keeping your stack completely modern, so upgrading all your ser- software routinely, then you're well protected. Uh, then you have systems in place to, to stop cyber attacks. Where we're seeing actual more cyber attacks is in, and it's, and it's devastating, but the ransomware and cyber attacks are happening more in small, medium enterprises that just don't have the redundancy and the hardened capacity that we, we do because we have teams on it all the time. 
there is another issue that is going to be something which will affect all those people under 35, since that's an age group you identified, uh, even if it's not one I identify with myself. There is going to be wealth transfer, unless you're like me, and I'm going to go skiing. Skiing, of course, being spending the kids' inheritance. How is this going to change things up? It's going to dramatically change things up. And I've studied the the numbers and the, the demographics, and, and they're different for different countries and different regions. But essentially, this is going to be the great wealth transfer. It's billions and billions, trillions of dollars, actually. And the interesting thing for me, though, is that in, in my neck of the woods, which is Canada, the uh, baby boom was huge, like Australia and, and the United States. And the what we're seeing is the baby boomers are actually still receiving money from their their nine-year-old parents as their their estates. So and they're distributing down to their kids. So it's it's more complex than just a a one and done move. It's it's kind of a a family transition and intergenerational wealth. So if you're a financial institution like ours that relies on financial planning for the affluent as a core market, what we do is work with family planning, start to distribute that money, particularly allow the kids to get into the real estate market and really start to build the trust and handle it all the way through from the grandmother that might be in the, the home to the still but working but about to retire to the young kids just starting a family. Are you going to be enhanced or undermined by AI? Well, AI is a change. It changes everything. It's already in process of be, of changing everything. The way we implement it now, like other financial institutions, is a bit clunky. But every day, our chatbots are learning and learning and learning and learning, and they're getting better and better. And so, and I often tell young 20-year-olds come to me and say, you know, where should I spend my career? What should I do? And I say, get into AI. That's the future. And I often use this example. I say, when was the last time when Google or Waze or any kind of app that gives you Google Maps, I'm talking about, gave you a direction and you decided to go independently on your own based on your own memory? You probably did that once. Now you just follow Google Maps and you trust in the AI. And I think it's so embedded in our capability now that we as practitioners, as bankers, trust it. And I think our clients are becoming more and more trusting of it. And it's going to be massive in the in the financial analysis, financial planning area. It already is in, in customer interactions and, and service centers. So I see nothing but positive things for it going forward. So what's the overall shape of financial services next year and on into the rest of the decade? We've got increasing AI usage. We've got cybersecurity concerns that have to be monitored on a regular basis and kept up to date on a regular basis. We have a more personal experience as customers going into financial institutions, whether that's physically into into a branch, less and less of that, or into the institution on in cyberspace itself, visiting in the cloud rather than visiting on the high street or main street. How do you see all this evolving? Is there an end point or is it going to be a continuous development? It will be continuous development, but that doesn't mean it won't end up being revolutionary as opposed to evolutionary. So the full end-to-end digital journeys are, are unfolding. COVID has accelerated that dramatically. But there's pieces that need to be put in place. So there's the open banking piece, 
which is evolving to open finance and then is evolving just to open data. So that's a very important and, and large growing area. But there's also payments modernization, real-time payments, uh, having all payments tagged with the, the information such that uh, small businesses can auto-reconcile that, that invoice that comes in. There's the increasing, uh, for us, we're moving from e-transfers from 25000 to 100000 again, real-time, so, so no repudiation on those transfers. And then there's the whole area of digital ID. And so that you can prove yourself effectively online. So these things, the technology there, we mentioned AI and marketing platform technology. So all that technology is there. The big thing is how will the regulators deal with it all? And then the final piece is what will consumer behavior be accepting of or not? And I think it's going to be a big change. You know, we've said this many times, you know, change comes small at first and then it comes all at once. And I think it's going to be an all-at-once thing in about three or four or five years where we will not recognize where we were 10 years ago. This is going to mean significant change from an advisory fund's point of view. Where would you be telling people to, all right, you said get into AI as a career choice. Where would you be telling people to invest? Well, that's the tough thing. All my tech stocks are massively overvalued now because uh, the whole everybody's jumped into it with the huge amount of liquidity that the central banks have provided. So, you know, on pullbacks, you might you might want to go with that. But I always tell people to get into hard trends. So not not specifically talking to a, a specific company, but obviously you want to be investing in those trends that relate to aging population, AI cloud computing. I mean, we just see the the value of Microsoft and Amazon and some of the Chinese companies just based on cloud computing taking off. And I think it will continue to take off. I'm seeing studies now that it's actually better for the climate than having everything distributed, uh, which which surprised me. But if that's the case, I think that that's one of the last things that will hold it back. So there's these various hard trends and you you need to not rely that one company will do well on them, but diversify your investments to to play that trend and again on pullbacks because everything's overvalued i'm glad you agree with me that everything's overvalued because i'm old nasty and cynical i do find some parallels between what's going on particularly actually not so much in in the listed marketplaces but more so within the venture capital and private equity area i do find parallels between what's happening now in financial technology and the dot-com bubble. Right. So what that tells me is things have gotten ahead of themselves, for sure, from an investment perspective. And they and we have too much liquidity in the market created by central banks, and so we need to start bringing that back. But it also is, shows people's concern about inflation, because it doesn't make sense to just keep it in cash and lose real-time money, or bonds, because of interest rates going up. So people are being logical. The other thing is you got to squint at the, at the, the companies. Um, even if you bought Amazon in, in 1999, you're probably doing well now. And what we're seeing is that the broad growth in a lot of these indices is not all stocks. It's a few winners. We know about the FANG stocks, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Netflix, etc. Those ones are likely providing game-changing um, growth in, in all the, the technology trends we just talked about. So I think you, need, you can pick your winners but you need to be very, very careful of the overall overvaluation. Thank you very much, Chris Catliff, President and Chief Executive Officer of Blue Shore Financial.